A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by the new podcast, Anomaly. Vanessa, one of my favorite YouTube holes to go down is like role-play fantasy tabletop multiplayer games where I don't really know any of the people playing, but I love watching them have an adventure. Well, Casper, then you would love Anomaly. It's a role-playing meditation podcast that takes you into a world of magic and fantasy. You'll be invited to imagine yourself in scenarios such as learning to cast a tranquility spell or exploring a land once vanquished by a dragon, but all connected by a shared mythology. I am genuinely going to download this right now. This sounds amazing. (laughs) This podcast combines traits of a great dungeon master and those of a talented meditation guide, weaving tales of fantasy that stretch the imagination while you learn to center yourself, offer forgiveness, find confidence, and relieve stress. This is available now on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you are listening to this podcast right now. It's Anomaly spelled with an I-E at the end and not a Y. Go to S-E-E-K-A-N-O-M-A- L-I-E dot com. That's SeekAnomaly.com to find out more. Chapter 20, Hagrid's Tale. Harry sprinted up to the boys' dormitory to fetch the invisibility cloak and the Marauder's map from his trunk. He was so quick that he and Ron were ready to leave at least five minutes before Hermione hurried back down from the girls' dormitories, wearing scarf, gloves, and one of her own knobbly elf hats. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. And thanks to our trivia winner at our Not Sorry Summer Camp, Katie, for submitting that beautiful reading of the opening words from this chapter. So Casper, our only announcement is our Patreon perk. Our Every Flavored Bean conversation this week is going to be you and I sharing our travel tales. This is Hagrid's tale. We have Casper tales and Vanessa tales. So we will share (laughs) some of our travel tales. Bonus, if the travel tale includes an injury story. Mm. Mm. So you can listen to that and all of our Patreon perks at patreon.com slash Harry Potter sacred text. Casper, you have a story on the theme of heartbreak. I'm already mad at who broke your heart. Who broke your heart? (laughs) Well, Emma Thompson broke my heart because... I already know what you're going to talk about. (laughs) Because we're recording this in January. So I don't know if other listeners may also like to rewatch the great Richard Curtis movie, Love Actually, at Christmas time. It certainly plays on just about every British television set, I think. And 
this very weird, cheesy, like actually bad movie, but it contains the greatest heartbreak scene ever captured on film, which is that Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson play a married couple. To be clear, Snape and Trelawney. Well, that's exactly true. This is a good Harry Potter crossover casting moment. (laughs) But Emma Thompson's character sees her husband in a department store buying a really beautiful piece of jewelry. And when it's time to unwrap the presents, just before they go out on Christmas Eve as a family, they have two children, I think, you know, she says, okay, actually, I would like to choose which present. And she goes for the one that has the same shape as the beautiful necklace. And she opens it and it's a Joni Mitchell CD. And it's in that moment she realizes her husband is having an affair. And what is heartbreaking about this scene is absolutely the moment where she realizes this infidelity, this betrayal. But really what makes it so much more powerful is the fact that she has to get herself together. She goes to her bedroom, she takes a moment and you see her just weeping. It's an entirely undirected moment. This was all Emma Thompson. And she is kind of just wiping away these tears from her cheeks. And then she's kind of looking up, she's blinking. And you can just see her gathering herself together before she has to go out and lead her kids and support her brother and, you know, be out in the world again. And so I think heartbreak sometimes is all the more painful when you have to carry on. I don't know, it unlocks my weepiness when I see someone else having to do that. And so I'm interested as we think about heartbreak in this chapter of that relationship with having to carry on despite the deep sadness and the heartbreak that someone like Hagrid might be feeling in the moment. One of my favorite heartbreak thoughts is from Mindy Kaling which is on her show, The Mindy Project, she ends her relationship with her fiance and then says at work, look, guys, I'm obviously really sad, so I'm going to take my heartbreak days. And they're like, no, you don't get heartbreak days. That's not a thing. And then she really messes up at work. And she's like, if you had just given me my heartbreak days, we would have been fine. And I love the idea that, like, we need heartbreak days like we need sick days. You know, it is the carrying on that I think is so hard, right? Like, when you break your ankle, you take some time to, like, sit and let it heal. But with heartbreak, there is this assumption that you just have to carry on. I think that that is always one of the hardest things about grieving anything. Mm. You look around and you're like, the world is going on. Like, right doesn't the world know that like everything is different now like how are you still going to the bank like everything Everything has changed yeah and it's like morally offensive to carry on (laughs) right right? like it's like how could you how do you not understand she's such a phenomenal actor that she is able to hold that breaking apart like absolutely collapsing and yet holding together in the same moment in the same face response to to what's happening and obviously Joni Mitchell you know that helps it all along that helps it all along (laughs) so whenever matt's not here i try my best to do etymology corner without him (gasps) settle down students (laughs) let's listen to professor zoltan so obviously this is a compound word right of heart and break and what i found really interesting is that the the notion of heart as the seat of mental facilities is like the place where we feel from and Mm. right like not just the thing that beats inside of us comes from the late 14th century 
And I love that that got invented, right? (laughs) Like that wasn't something that we all agreed to, that like feelings or the idea of a soul or something is lodged in our chest. And what comes out of that definition is it's the inner part of anything. Mm. So the heart of music, the heart of this table, right? Like it is the most inner part of something. The heart of the issue, yeah. Exactly. And that goes back to that, you know, 1300s time. And then break is to divide solid matter violently. And that comes from Old English, which the to divide to me implies intention, which is something that I'm interested in. Because I do think that your heart can be broken by some one or something that had no intention of doing that. Mm. But I also do think some intentionality can make it worse, right? Mm. Mm. So anyway, just some things for us to hold on to as we explore the theme in this chapter. That's really interesting. I like how you described the heart as like the core, the innermost thing. And then this idea of like solid matter being broken because it suggests that the heart is like a cohesive, like in our imagination, right? Of how we use language. Mm-hmm. it That it's this like separate thing that is whole unto itself. While Mm -hmm. the heart as of course an actual organ is connected in all sorts of interesting ways to the rest of the body. And so like to destroy it, you really have to, yeah, there's a violence to it to break open that wholeness. That's really interesting. That's the experience of heartbreak is like, it's your whole world, right? Right. Like it's something that was complete that is now, it, it never will be the same again. That's powerful. Yeah. Okay, Casper, let us remind the people what happened in this chapter, or let us at least endeavor to. Yeah, I can go first on this 30 seconds. Oh, great. Ready, steady, go. So the trio make their way down to Hagrid's hut, forgetting to cover their own tracks in the snow. Hello, fifth years, you should know better. They make it there. They see Hagrid, who is not okay. Uh, Fang is very excited to see humans of the right size having maybe or maybe not a company to Hagrid. Never actually clear in this story. Uh, Hagrid and Maxine make their way to the mountains. Uh, it seems that they're somewhere in Russia where they um, oh become ambassadors to the, um, the Gurg and it fails and they come back. Wow, time really ran away with me there. I I get so excited. Okay, I appreciate that. Tell us what happened once they got there, which is the key of the story. (laughs) All right, 30 seconds on the clock, Vanessa. Here we go. So Hagrid and Maxime try to build up a good relationship with the Giants because they want to make sure that the Giants don't go to the Death Eater side. And so they've like begun, begun on their diplomacy mission and the Gurg gets killed and replaced by another Gurg. And they're like, oh, shoot. And then the Death Eaters come and they're just like, turn around, eh, eh, go back. I don't know what's going to happen with the Giants, but the mission was kind of a failure. And Hagrid is telling them all of this. And because of the tracks that you set up, Umbridge comes and is like, just so you know, I'm going to be supervising your lesson. And Hermione is like, Hagrid, this is actually a big deal. It is a big deal. Hermione, strategy person, she's like, let me explain this to you, Hagrid. She is trying to get everyone out who's allied to Dumbledore, right? Like she is like, there's a chess game happening and I see it. Love her. So Vanessa, I think we need to start with like the core heartbreak at the heart of this whole chapter, which is Hagrid and his relationship with the giants generally, but also specifically the fact that he finds out his mother has died in this chapter. Like that's a huge deal. I mean, he's always been a little dismissive and I think maybe self-protective about his mother being like, well, she wasn't a great mom. You know, it's not in her nature like to be nurturing, 
But nonetheless, like that is a serious piece of information to discover when you're out on a mission for like political survival for Dumbledore. And his whole experience with the giants is one of like feeling connected to them in some way, right? He's the one who's sent as an ambassador. He's entrusted with this mission because he is half giant, but he's also more conscious of his difference from them than ever. And I think that's true, right? When we come close to our family, we realize actually how different we are while when we're away from them, at least this is true for me. I'm like, oh, I'm so the same as all my like beloved family. And then when I'm close to them, I'm like, oh, geez, (laughs) me different (laughs) with great love. But I, I see that in Hagrid and there is some heartbreak in that experience of like not belonging to the very people that you feel like you should be belonging to. And I'm curious if that was how you read this as well. Something just occurred to me, and follow me here if you don't mind for a moment, and tell me if there's a there there. And that is, this is a mini story of Harry. <gasps> Harry is sent as a sacrificial lamb <gasps> where his mother has died, and he is part of Dumbledore's <sighs> plot. And Dumbledore is like willing to let Harry die. And it feels very similar all of a sudden. It's exactly the same because he's totally willing to let Hagrid die. I mean, they come so close to being absolutely destroyed. Yep. (gasps) Dumbledore sends Hagrid with more information than he sends Harry with. It's a simplified version of a mission. But I'm just seeing this way that Hagrid and Harry are connected in this moment, which doesn't answer your question. But I just wanted to share this like spark that I had. I think it totally informs our reading of Hagrid, though, because we've seen Harry up close in a way that we haven't seen Hagrid up close. And of course, there's an age difference. But like Hagrid has never had the sort of friendships that Harry has formed. Hagrid has never had the continued education and opportunities that Harry has had, despite the challenges. Like, in some ways, you know, certainly in his education, like, Hagrid is still lacking a lot. And so I think looking at his experience through what we know of Harry really informs how lonely he's probably feeling. And that's why I think his closeness to Madame Maxime and that kind of projected... I've always read it as a romance, but now I'm seeing it as a friendship. Like, yes, there's romance there, but really what he's hoping this relationship is, is like, I'm not alone in the world. Right. And so the fact that he's sharing this experience with Olamp is also a little bit like Harry having those adventures with Ron and Hermione. And, you know, like the troll scene in book one, right? Their relationship is formed through intense terror (laughs) and survival in the same way that Hagrid does in this chapter. Wow, that's cool. I'd never seen that connection. And another difference that I think is important in its difference is that Hagrid doesn't get heartbroken by Dumbledore because Mm. he just has this complete faith in Dumbledore. Whereas Harry in book seven does get heartbroken by Dumbledore, right? He's like, you set me up as a lamb to the slaughter and comes to peace with that to some extent, right? And like chooses to fulfill this mission. But there's something about Hagrid that I don't know is like so wholehearted in some ways that it's almost like his heart can't be broken once he trusts someone. Or is it like, because he only has Dumbledore, if he lets go of that, he has nothing. Right? Like, it is the one foundation on which his entire reality exists. And to question that is, like, breakdown. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. It's his housing, yeah, which is complicated in its own way. Yeah, and I don't have an answer to your question exactly, but I would just imagine that like going on this very long journey, he must have had so much anxiety about what it would be like to see his mom. Is she alive or dead? And then to find out not only that she's dead, but that right. like it's to some extent the wizarding world's fault that she's dead. Giants aren't meant to live like this, which I think we should talk more about later. But yeah. she was a victim of wizarding society. And so it's a huge piece of news. I don't know. We don't get the sense that he's heartbroken by it or we get the sense that it just validated a heartbreak that he already had. That it's like, I knew, I knew that the way giants were treated is horrible and that we've treated them badly. And then like seeing it and being like, oh, and my mom is dead from it. You know, I just had an ankle repair and they were talking to me about how they, you know, essentially taped things back together and therefore it's different. A repair is that you can't make it new again. And sometimes you can actually make it better in some ways, but you can't make it new again. And I feel like Haggard went into this with a heart that was broken, but possible to repair upon good news, right? Like just a hopeful. And then this news just like kept the heart broken and sort of like froze that heartbreak in. Yeah, I think frozen is a really good word because he doesn't volunteer this information, right? Hermione and her infinite wisdom and empathy is the one who asks him, like, you know, did you have any sign of, did you hear anything about your your mother while you were there is her question. And then, you know, when he says, dead, ye- died years ago, they told me, oh, I'm really sorry. She says in a small voice, no need, he cut shortly, can't remember her much, wasn't a great mother. And then there's silence. And so like... There's just so much that's unsaid, even in this big informational reveal. And, you know, Harry and Ron don't (laughs) offer anything. But also, like, Hagrid doesn't really suggest that he wants to talk more about it. So I think that that sense of frozenness of, like, something that was already heartbroken being confirmed is a really good image. Mm -hmm. But the other thing I think in this whole scene is, like, I can imagine that for at least a younger Hagrid, perhaps, who didn't know very much about giants, like the giant world as this place of imagination and potential could have been an alternative to to Hogwarts where he never felt like he belonged and then literally was thrown out. Like that could have been a place of like, oh, maybe one day I'll live there or that's where I belong. And like that dream is shattered after this experience. And so he comes back to this like cold reality of like, this is all I have, which, you know, paired with the nasty injury is like not great. I also think that there's a version of this that many of us know, which is when someone passes away and you had a complicated relationship Mm, with them, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that your grief is less, right? right? Because you're also grieving, I will never have a good relationship with that, right? Like you're grieving all of the things that were broken when the person was alive. And so I think we often feel like, whatever, I didn't even have a good relationship with them. I shouldn't be sad. And it's like, nope. Or getting out of a, you know, unhealthy romantic relationship, right? Like it wasn't even a good relationship. That doesn't mean it's not painful, right? This is just something that we all know. Complex grief can take longer to navigate actually than a death of someone with whom you had a very healthy relationship. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Where else did you see heartbreak in this chapter? Somewhere where I saw heartbreak that just like resonated with my work life mm-hmm. is the moment where the first Gerg dies. So we know that Hagrid and Olymp have been sent to the giants and have been given instructions by Dumbledore as to like how to best engage on this diplomatic mission. And I love this strategy. You promise a present, you show up the following day, and you give a present. And you promise a better present the next day, and you show up, right? Like, this really is also, like, how to build a relationship with a child, right? Like, (laughs) promise something and show up. Not the presents necessarily. They don't hurt. But, like, you promise something and you show up. And you promise something and you show up, right? And you're just, like, proving that you are a trustworthy person. And then, you know, day two or three of this, the Gerg gets murdered by another Gerg, and there's new leadership in town. And I, the only thing I can equate it to in my life is realizing that everything I've written for the last however <laughs> many days, weeks, or months is just bad in that, like, command-A-delete moment <laughs> of just, like... <laughs> And now I start again. <laughs> but without some of my best gifts that I gave to the last guy, like I can't <laughs> right. use those anecdotes again. Yeah. Right. Like I, for whatever reason, it's heartbreaking. <laughs> and they know that they're under time pressure and they, they've just traveled so far and sacrificed so much. And it just becomes clear that they're not going to get any of the things they came here for. Yeah. Well, and there's even a second layer to this, which is realizing that the Death Eaters have been doing the same strategy and they got there earlier, right? Like to kind of realize maybe even the futility of the entire project. And so like this whole thing was a waste of time. And Hagrid, the very end is like, maybe they'll come. (laughs) Like he is not convinced that this has helped at all. It's so easy to say, oh, sunk costs, move on, you know. But like when you've invested your heart into something and it doesn't work out, and whether it's, you know, because of the circumstances or someone else got there before, whatever else, like it is heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. Oh, it's like devastating. I'm like, give me a minute with my pillow. (laughs) (laughs) 
this was a great strategy. It was. And Dumbledore sent the right people to do it. And Hagrid and Olymp were right to backtrack and take their time. And right, like, no one made a mistake. Everyone did everything right. And it still didn't work. Yeah, like, here was another opportunity for him to, like, imagine contributing something really significant for Dumbledore, right? Like paying him back. Like I get to be crucial to this story. I get to help, right? Like this is uniquely mine to do. There's no one else on our team who can do this except me. I'm the chosen one in this one way. I'm the chosen one. Yes. And I did it right. Yeah. But the world didn't let my good effort like go anywhere. I want to come back to something you said earlier, which was about why the giants are living in this context in the first place. Can you say more about that? Yes. So Hagrid says this, I think, three times in the chapter. They're not meant to live that way, right? Like, he keeps remarking on the fact that the giants were not meant to live in close quarters and that they live in these mountains in close quarters because the wizarding world has sort of shunned them in this way. And it just really reminded me My family used to watch Planet Earth, and we don't anymore because I couldn't watch it without crying. And what always bothered me, like, sure, animals die, wilderness hard. And like, (laughs) if like a fox killed a goose, I was like, you know, uh, my younger stepdaughter does a great imitation of David Attenborough when she says, (laughs) you know, the baby goose will live, but of course now the fox will starve. Will die. (laughs) Right? Like, that stuff I'm like, aw, but it doesn't make me deeply sad. But watching like elephants and lions having to share a watering hole because of drought, because of human interference. The polar bears having to go south into like Greenland. Yeah. I can't. I just confronting the horrors that we have wreaked upon their world. I'm like, murder each other, fine. That's what you're (laughs) supposed to do. But I just feel that way about the giants. Like, sure, I don't don't know what the giants can and can't do. You know, like, I, Rowling's logic about, you know, the, like, nature of humanoids is very confusing to me. But... I do believe, Hagrid, that they are not meant to live Mm. like this and that it is probable that the worst parts of themselves are coming out because they are not living in the ways that they are supposed to live. I think what's especially heartbreaking for Hagrid is that he is half wizard, half giant. And Mm -hmm. so, like, he feels both the plight of the giants, right? But, like, as a half wizard, he's also super conscious why wizards have pushed essentially these giants into sort of reservations, right? Right. And so there's a whole power analysis and conflict there, which is happening at a societal and like historical level, but it's also happening within Hagrid because like literally his giantness has to be contained in the wizarding world. And yet he's also not allowed to be a wizard, right? Like we see this whole journey, how he's not allowed to perform any magic because that's how he's going to be traced and punished. And so like that whole conflict is also happening within Hagrid the whole time within these books. Yeah, like it's another level of heartbreak at the societal level and at the personal level for him. Yeah, and just like realizing complicity. I feel like there's a heartbreak that like every American parent watches their child go through, right? Where they're just like, we did what? And you're just like, yup, we did that and we're still doing that, right? And like, yeah, those like loss of innocence moments where you really see your complicity in something. 
So Casper, today we are going to do pardes, and you have picked a sentence for us. In my copy, it's on page 374, and it goes like this. Greenish blood trickled down into his beard as he gave a soft moan of satisfaction. (laughs) So the pshat, which is the first part of Pardes, is to think literally about what's happening in the sentence. And at this point, Hagrid is picking up a piece of dragon meat. It literally (laughs) says, he picked up the steak and slapped it over the left side of his face. So the entire left side of his face is covered with this dragon meat and the greenish blood of the dragon is trickling down into his beard. But it clearly is making him feel better because then he says that's better. It helps with the stinging, you know. So yeah, not gross at all. It's medicine. (laughs) It's so vivid, right? The green... Blood. I'm seeing like lime green. I don't know what kind of green you're seeing, like I a hunter, know. a forest green, or a mint green. And I <laughs> I think I'm seeing a lime green also, like a neon yeah. right. lime green. I think what I love about this sentence while we're in shot is just that like healing is disgusting. Mm. Healing is work and is like chemistry and magic. And like, I don't know, part of healing is often like pus and just like gross and painful. Yeah. So step two, Casper, is remez, and we're going to pick a word in the sentence and sort of trace it throughout the book. What word is sparkling at you? Can you read the sentence one more time, please? Greenish blood trickled down into his beard as he gave a soft moan of satisfaction. I mean, so many good words in this sentence. I actually want to go with beard. I think oh, that would be a good one. Okay, okay. I was thinking blood, but I love I know. beard. That was my first thought, but I was like, ugh, blood schmlud. Let's do beard. <laughs> <laughs> Let's set a challenge for ourselves. Because immediately I'm thinking about like Dumbledore's beard, right? I'm thinking of like other famous beards that we see. Sirius's scruffy face while he's on the run. Yes. Like I'm thinking of... Bearded dragons. The bearded dragons. Mm-hmm. So, so far in everything you've said, we have like beard is wisdom, beard is fashion, and beard as sign of like no time or resources to shave, right? Yes. Like right. beards have already symbolized three different things here. We also hear the expression Merlin's beard a couple uh-huh. of times. Yep. So it's like a, a popular saying. Yep. I mean, Hagrid's beard itself at some point, I think, houses or disguises animals. <laughs> um, Hagrid's beard, yes, is um, is like is iconic, right? Is we would he has like he he tames it when he's trying to impress a limp, right? Like yes, he it, it is like an expression of him. If he suddenly came somewhere clean shaven, I think. Everyone would be like, "Whoa, what is going on?" Yeah, yeah. exactly. Who dares? <laughs> I'm just thinking about the relationship between Albus and his brother, like mm. the way we see Aberforth portrayed as also with a beard, yep. and so like there is, even though Aberforth wants to kind of separate himself from Albus in all of these ways, like that that brotherly connection maybe is held in the facial hair a little bit, or at least maintained. Yeah, so I'm just thinking of of the way in which it can reveal connection as well. Yeah. Yeah, beards are also just signs of change, right? Of time passing. Hmm. Right? And like in phases of people's lives. My uncle was constantly like growing a beard, shaving his beard, changing his beard. And it, right, like it was, yeah, it was just like a sign of sort of like seasons and change. 
Okay, so step three is drosh, and that is where we look at the sentence and ask ourselves what lesson we would want to pull from it. What Do you mind reading it one more time for us, Casper Deer? Greenish blood trickled down into his beard as he gave a soft moan of satisfaction. What's the message you would you would share on this little quote? I know I already talked a little bit about this, but just like the pain of healing. I know yeah. we've been quoting a lot of other culture today, but there's a great scene in Grey's Anatomy where Derek Shepard says to a mom, this is now a healing pain, not a sick mm. pain. Mm. And I know I've also talked about this idea before that Peter had a physical therapist who introduced us to this idea of safe pain. Hmm. That like, this is a pain that like, you're not injuring yourself when you feel this pain. Like this is, this is a healing pain. And just, I think I would talk about how to make sure that it's a healing pain and just the importance of community in that discernment. Am I like suffering through the hard part of this job because it's going to get better? Or am I just like in a job that is bad Mm. for me? Or, you know, is this a tough moment in my relationship? Or Mm. is it time for me to move on? Whatever it is, I'm currently in physical therapy and someone who I see there, her instructions were walk as much as you can. It doesn't matter if it hurts, right? Like with hip replacements, they're just like, walk, 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 walk. I don't know if they do this for everyone. This woman was told, walk, walk, walk. And I have been told the exact opposite. It's discomfort Mm. is fine. As soon as it hurts, sit down, right? Like bad sign as soon as it hurts. And it's just, right? Like there are different parts of healing that require different things of us. But I think that the only way to discern when something is which mm. is in community. So yeah, I, I want to normalize talking about pain, I think. What about you, Casper? That links actually really beautifully with what strikes me, which is that the desperation that pain brings to try anything. Like, think about yeah. the first wizard who was like, you know what? What I'm going to try is this gross dragon meat and just like putting it on my skin because what I'm experiencing right now is so awful. (laughs) I Like I've tried nettle soup. I've tried whatever salve my potions master could put together. Like I I need the, I'm just going to try anything. Put the dragon thing on my face. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And the satisfaction that's come from that. And so I guess I'm thinking about the power of medicinal experimentation and like the courage of people to try things as we discover what helps our bodies heal and just knowing how desperate we can be when we are in pain to be really willing to try anything we were just talking about that as a family like who was the person who was like do you know what i love you so i'll drill into your skull yes yeah right but thank god but thank god they did Yeah. yeah And I know there's an actual answer to that question. (laughs) But like acupuncture, who was like putting needles in you is going to (laughs) help. And I, and I, it does. It's like, okay, stick the needles in me. That's actually the soap is stick the needles (laughs) Needles in me. (laughs) It's magical. That is such a good soap. Read the sentence one more time because I think you're right. Greenish blood trickled down into his beard as he gave a soft moan of satisfaction. Right, like, only let someone who really knows what they're doing stick the needles in you. Sometimes you're just, if it's misplaced at all, 
it is not good, right? And like, so true. I don't know. I think what you're willing to do to heal, take your heartbreak mm. days, you know, I think a lot of effort can be put into healing and a lot of time taken for it. What about you? I think my sode is, I think it's like a bruise, right? It gets a lot worse before it gets better or it looks a lot worse. Right. And so it's really related to what you've been talking about with this process of healing, that it it gets ugly before it gets pretty. And just like transformation is never pretty. It's never soft and easy. Like whether it's healing a body or changing a career or, you know, whatever transition, like transformation is not pretty. And so mm. I love that Hagrid embraces that. He's like, I don't care what it looks like. What I care about is that soft moan of satisfaction. That's better. It helps with the stinging. Yeah. Mm. Transformation is always is always ugly and hard. It's I messy. love that. Yeah, it is. Well, thank you so much, Casper. That was such a fun gross part eight. <laughs> it feels like getting slimed, but Harry Potter and the Sacred Textile. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Our voicemail this week comes from Therissa. Hi, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. This is Therissa, she, they. I'm responding to Vanessa and Jolie Doggett's discussion on Book 5, Chapter 10. You talked about how badly Hogwarts needs a new student orientation and what a great job Vanessa would do. Here are my thoughts. A, yes, Vanessa would be amazing for this. And B, failing to have an orientation is a structural barrier to students from Muggle families and so an expression of wizard supremacy. Children from wizarding families would know a lot more about the Hogwarts experience from their parents and over older siblings. Sure, Fred teases Ron and tells him that sorting is a test that can be painful, but Ron knows he's joking and has surely learned stuff from his parents and maybe Bill and Charlie. By not providing an orientation, the teachers guarantee that first years from Muggle families will spend a lot of time catching up and experience more distress. So this is a blessing for every student who encounters structural barriers to their education and feels lost and confused and may be scared but doesn't want to let it show. May they be supported um, by the adults uh, responsible for their learning and their more knowledgeable peers. Thank you for the show. It's been in my life for a long time, and I love it. Oh, Theresa, Casper and I both proctored at Harvard University, the great keeper of legacy students. <laughs> and one of the most shocking things that still happens at Harvard is that if you did not take AP Computer Science, it is too late for you first semester freshman year to take the Intro to Computer Science class, right? Like these are just structural things that are baked in. 
And Harvard uses all of these words like proctor instead of like residential life anything. They call it an entryway instead of a dorm. It's a teaching fellow, not a teaching assistant. It is a concentration, not a major. And it is all, in my opinion, designed to make people feel like they're on the outside. At minimum, the fact that it hasn't changed to just use the normal words that every other college and university in the United States uses, right? Like, these are intentional choices. You are absolutely right. And they are just despicable attempts at invisibly keeping people on the outside. And I, yeah, thank you. And I would be great at this. (laughs) Please and thank you. (laughs) (laughs) It's now time for us to remember members of our community who have been loved and lost. And this week, we remember Douglas William Clark, a loving father and generous and faithful friend. Mary Sikorsky, a nurse, mother, and holiday baker. Anne Turner Podlesack, 57, a mother and beloved by many, she fought until the end. And Mel Ackerman, 80, father, grandfather, lover of fishing and life of the party. May their memory be a blessing. And speaking of blessings, Vanessa, who do you want to bless in this chapter? I don't usually do this, but I want to bless the whole trio. They just show up and listen Hmm. for a long period of time. And they ask questions and they interject, but for the most part... They are just listening. And I think one of the greatest gifts that we can offer people and ourselves is to just listen. And so a blessing to the trio for offering Hagrid that gift. I wonder if what you just said actually explains some of the satisfaction that Hagrid feels, which is that the healing is coming both from that dragon meat and the fact that these people have cared enough to risk something significant to come and listen to his story. Casper, who would you like to bless? Well, I want to bless Hagrid's mother. You know, she Mm. has been dead a long time, we learn in this chapter. And, you know, we know that perhaps the maternal instinct is not as strong in giants as it is in humans. But you have to think, you know, any young has to be protected by its parents and especially its mother at the beginning of its life. And so for her to have birthed Hagrid and cared for him enough for him to survive. Um, And especially because, you know, she paired off with a non-giant. Like, this was an innovative woman who had eyes beyond, you know, the everyday. And so I think I want to think about some of Hagrid's great gifts as perhaps coming from her. And certainly his courage in stepping into the giant world is something I hope she would have been proud to see. So a blessing for Hagrid's mother. Amen. Next week, Casper, we will be reading Book 5, Chapter 21, The Eye of the Snake, through the theme of care with our beloved Matt Potts. Hi, Matt. (laughs) I hope it goes well. 
we have a publishing class with Mackenzie Lee. Find out more about how to get your brilliant writing published if you go to notsorryworks.com. This was a Not Sorry production, a feminist production company, and our executive producer is Caitlin Hoffmeister. We're edited and produced by AJ Yaramas. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Boll, and we're distributed by Acast. Thanks to Theresa for this week's voicemail, to Ariana Nettleman, Julia Argy, Margaret H. Willison, Nikki Zoltan, Hannah Rehack, Courtney Brown, Matthew Potts, Natalie Falkert, Stephanie Purcell, and everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones. And thanks to Vanessa too. She's pretty great. We'll see you next week. Bye. And that comes from Old English. So that is... Um, Would you pronounce that for us in the in the ye Old English? Yeah, sure. Oh, AJ edited it out. <laughs> <laughs> That's so... AJ. Um, 